Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we're going to learn a lot about fintech. We're going to learn about transferring money. And, uh, and I think that the guest that we have today is someone that, that knows a lot, you know, knows a lot about building, scaling and financing companies. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show today, Christo Carman, the CEO and co-founder of TransferWise. Welcome to the show today. Good to be here. So, Christo, another fellow European, you know, the way that, you know, things work in Europe are obviously a little bit different to the way they work here in the U.S., where I'm right now based for the past 12 years. But but I wanted to ask you here, what, what was life for you being born and raised in, in Tallinn, in Estonia? Um, I, I was born in, um, in Estonia that was then occupied by Soviet Union in 1980. Um, so for the first 10 years... I was growing up like um, all the Soviet kids did at the time. And it wasn't until 1991 when the country became independent again um, that it went through a pretty incredible uh, growth story from from nothing to uh, to then becoming the part of the European Union, uh, joined the NATO and and now generally doing pretty well. Got it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that, and especially when I watched the Eurovision uh, TV shows, you know, with you guys singing there and always, um, you know, doing a good job. So that was fun. But anyhow, how did you get uh, into mathematics and, and computers? When I grew up, I think that was um, that was pretty exciting. The, the personal computers were, uh, perhaps they were um, a little, little, more widely available in the West, but in the in the Soviet times, the late eighties, early nineties were were the time when we we saw the first personal computers. Um, and as a kid, I had access to access to a few of those as well. Um, uh, we had a Spectrum. I guess the first one was Spectrum uh, ZX. Was uh, uh, was this uh, little keyboard that you could attach? Um, behind a color TV. Um, I don't know how my dad got his hands on one of those. Um, and later I had a, a Commodore 2001. I think that was built in, in the late 70s. Um, 
and that's where I, I wrote my first first pieces of code. Um, very nice, very nice. So then, how do you end up? Because I I see that that you went to to uh, Tartu, that saying where you did your your um, your degree, your college degree, mathematics and computer science, but but why do you end up as a consultant? Like what happens there? What's the transition? Because I believe that you were at PwC. Is that right, Christo? Uh, that's indeed right. Um, when I when I finished my studies in in mathematics, I was actually quite interested in uh, in data and, and dealing with large amounts of data. And and I went to uh, to do a master's later on in. Um, uh, microbiology and and the comp computational methods around microbiology, but um, but at the same time, um, I did I did get a job in uh, in PwC, and the job was to uh, to help some of the banks in Estonia and telcos um, to get a better handle on their on their data, so that they can run the banks and telcos. A little bit better. So I was working as a as a management consultant at the time. So what kind of stuff were you doing there? In the first cases, um, it's it's very interesting. So um, as we're such a young country, the um, the newly independent uh, Estonia was only fifteen years old. That means every business, the oldest business in the country, was was fifteen years old. And that means there's really not a lot of legacy. Uh, so if we look at what consultants usually do in um, in in the old world, in Europe or in uh, in the US, they they usually go to really old um, companies and help them deal with legacy, help them help them with change, um, either new processes or, or or new better ways to to run the company. Back in the day in Estonia, the, all the companies were, were very young, and I think we just started to get to the place. Got it. So, so, then, so then I guess, uh, Christo, how do you end up being in London then? At the time, um, as, I, um, as I explained, the, the companies in Estonia were really, really young, and the problems that they were facing, they st just started to face pretty tricky um, kind of process challenges and and, and data challenges, and uh, and they were still very kind of young and early. Um, but as I as I looked into those, I realized that actually elsewhere in the world uh, these problems are much deeper and much more interesting. And that's why um, 2007, now 12 years ago, I moved to London to uh, to work with Deloitte and do a pretty similar job, but but now with companies that are about 100 years older. Got it. So I guess uh, being a consultant, uh, because one of the things that I see uh, here, Christo, is that most of the incredible, like incredibly successful founders that, that I get the chance to interview, they either do investment banking or they do uh, VC or private equity or perhaps you know consulting. I guess as a consultant, what, what would you say, why would you say there are so many successful founders that have that background of, of being a consultant in the past? This is a very good question. I, um, 
I'm personally not very proud of my consultant background. I think the work that we did at the time wasn't particularly useful. It didn't have a lot of impact on the on the companies that we tried to help. We were enormously well paid, um, and I never really understood why because um, I didn't see that the the impact that we were having was uh, was that was that great at the time. But to answer your question, I think it probably does give you um, give you a few skills and when you're starting up a new business um, you have to be pretty organized and and consultants usually are pretty good at kind of organizing and and structuring the the work to get uh, to get things done fast so when you're thinking about structuring and organizing I mean what does that look like? What kind of skill set, you know, are, are those like? I mean, just so that the listeners, you know, get a get a better idea of what being organized looks like. <laughs> That's a very. Uh, uh, I think I have a pretty good explanation. So, if you think about Transferwise, we we started in 2011 uh, making payments between um, uh, the UK and Eurozone. So people in the UK could send money to Europe and people in the Eurozone could send money to the UK. That was it. Um, in the first um, in the first year, I think it was six months in, I just remember a stat, we were doing about 800 transactions a week. That was kind of the level of, um, of organization then. Today, to put it into context, we're moving about four billion pounds across border, and we do that across about two thousand different currency routes. So from these two routes, pound euro, euro to pound, we move to two thousand, and uh, and rather than doing eight hundred transactions a week, uh, this is now ten thousand times more. Right. Um, so when um, that the skills of being organized, I think, have been been very useful in in that journey, uh, especially in transferwise, where uh, pretty much everything has to run as clockwork, and do that in uh, seventy different jurisdictions where we operate, following the local regulations, uh, having having linked into the local banking systems, um, and and servicing five million customers around the world. Um, so that's kind of the level of organization. So then you must be a, a masterful, um, a, I would say, rock star at spreadsheets, I would assume. Um, I, I do know how to use spreadsheets, yes. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. So let, let... Um, but, Go ahead. But, uh, but as you can imagine, after the first year, um, the, the volumes that we're processing very quickly outrun what spreadsheets can handle. So... So really, the work here is more with databases and code and um, industrializing uh, similar things that you you write can be done with a spreadsheet. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. So then let's uh, rewind just a little bit because, I mean, it's obviously impressive numbers, you know, and, and what you guys have done with TransferWise. But before we get there, let's let's talk about the, the, the way things started. So at what point, you know, do you start, you know, you guys, you and your co-founder, perhaps how did you guys meet and what was the process of incubating the idea of TransferWise? Both me and Tavid ended up uh, for different reasons in in London around 2000, 
seven and eight and um uh, we had a similar problem so uh my my challenge was that i had a great salary in the uk uh at my new job uh, but my savings account was still back in estonia and i was moving regularly pounds into my savings account that was in euros and uh, when i did a larger transaction i found out that um a lot less money arrives um and when i say a lot less it was like 500 euros less wow and then i i started looking into this and then i found out that uh, it was because um hsbc was my bank in the uk when i go to hsbc and instruct a transfer to estonia they uh, they say it costs at i think 12 pounds at the time what they don't tell me is they use a an exchange rate that is five percent less than uh, what I see on Reuters or Bloomberg or um, er, any other any other website. Yeah. So what happens is um, this twelve pounds isn't really how you know banks make their their money. It's uh, it's about the fees that are hidden in the exchange rate. So when I uh, when I was first hit by the the loss of 500 euros, I was pretty angry, uh, pretty, um, pretty sad even. Yeah. And, and I found a solution then, um, which, which came through my co-founder, who's now my co-founder, Tavet, because he had the exact opposite problem. He was moving money from Estonia to London. He was still paid in euros into his Estonian bank account, but his living expenses were all in pounds. Got it. So I guess, I guess, how did you, Christo, how did you guys meet then? How did you and Tavet meet? Um, so to answer, to answer your question, I really have to go back a little bit to we're both Estonians. Um, Estonia is a nation of about 900,000 Estonians. So, uh, and, and that means every year about 200, uh, Dudes are born, and I think about two hundred girls. So I'm me and Todd are roughly the same year. So we're one of the two hundred two thousand. Uh, we both moved to London, so it's almost impossible not to not to meet. Just yeah. to give you an idea how small of a nation we are. Wow. Uh, so if there are people your age and they end up in London, uh, roughly both interested in the same things, you kind of got to meet through through friends. Of course. Um, that's that's what happened to us. Got it. And and obviously the um you know Tavid had um had a very interesting background as well. I mean he was one of the first employees, if not the first, of uh, Skype. So obviously he had, uh, I would say, experience with hyper growth companies. You were obviously coming a little bit more from corporate, but but I guess the um you know what what I want to ask you here is how do you go from start, you know, starting to share like some of the issues that you're experiencing, you know, with doing the exchanges and transferring money and Tavid having that same issue from that to, from those conversations, casual conversations, perhaps, you know, over dinner or drinks to, you know, to the point where you guys give your notice and you say, we're going to go at this hundred percent. You go, you go bit by bit. Um, so of course we started on a hypothesis. Um, we started on a hypothesis. It's not just um, Estonians in London problem. Um, we thought it would probably apply to the Spanish in London, maybe to the Romanians in London, maybe to the Americans in London. 
and then maybe also to Australians in Brazil um, after after a little while. So it was really a hypothesis. I think a lot of startups start on on a hypothesis, both that it's uh, it's something that is needed. Secondly, especially when we're dealing with other people's money, and this was 2011, the term fintech didn't really uh, didn't really exist. It was also the question whether people are are going to trust your service that you're building, and and lastly, are we going to make it work? Um, so it works between a couple of people, but can we make it work for hundreds, thousands, and and after that, millions of people? Right. So then, basically, you got the the answer to all of these questions or to all of these uh, different points, and then you know, uh, Tavid and you, you said this is the um, this is the day where we give the notice. So, so I guess how were how were those early days like with uh, you know you and Tavid being you know building and creating TransferWise? What would those you know days look like? Uh, from very beginning, it was pretty clear that this challenge is bigger than uh, just the two of us. So, uh, the day we launched, it was twenty fourth of January two thousand eleven, with a simple blog post in TechCrunch. And actually, on the same day, I went. Uh, I got so much email at the back of the launch uh, from people around the world who reached out to me and said, "Hey, we had a uh, we had exactly a similar scheme with with my friends back in the university, um, but we never really did anything with it. We never really built into a product. Um, so I, it was pretty cool to see that it's not just us who had the problem. There's a, there's lots of others out there with similar challenge, and, and, and a lot of them had actually come to a, a similar solution uh, informally between themselves. So it was actually on that first day that I um, that I went through my phone book and and uh, found someone we could hire. And and after that, uh, I think in the same month we brought on a few more people. So we started hiring pretty quickly realizing that uh, uh, this is something that, that people need, uh, realizing that and seeing after the launch that people are trusting us with their money. The real transactions were, were happening on the first day, um, and we started building the team. Got it. And uh, what, what were some of those uh, early hires? Like what kind of uh, profiles were you guys looking for? We're a tech product, and um, we we needed um, we needed engineers in the beginning to, to help us build. Um, we hired uh, operations as well as we're dealing with money and um, increasingly large amounts of money. Um, uh, we needed people who help us us run the shop. Um, uh, so we had someone join uh, as an operations lead, started building out uh, a team of uh, operators and payment operators and treasurers. Um, and we also were convinced from the from day one that um, we'll need to support our customers. It was it was the time where it was quite common for for tech companies to uh, to not have any support at all um and we chose to to go the other way 
um, we had a phone number on our front page from the from the very beginning, and we also needed people to to handle the queries and help folks get used to this uh, new way of moving money between countries. Because while we're here, Christo, then you know some of the some of the like big challenges that you were dealing with, like during let's say this let's say first couple of years where you were kind of like at a seed series A type of type of stage, like what were some of the biggest challenges? <laughs> Almost everything is a challenge if, uh, if you're at this stage. Um, so you can imagine that uh, uh, the code you build for, um, for tomorrow um, actually, or the systems that you set up, are, are not going to be relevant six months later because you have 50 times the volume that you that you had when you first designed them. Um, and then in another six months, you have, again, uh, crazy amounts of more volume coming in. So it was, uh, it was definitely from the operational side, it was, was handling the growth. And then on the other side, it was still the, the challenge of, uh, how do you, uh, there were definitely pe people that um, were looking for a solution and found TransferWise, but until today, we see that most people, uh, the majority of, of people and, and business owners and, and CFOs, they don't really uh, know about those hidden fees. They believe that um, the banks charge uh, 25 bucks for a wire. Yeah. And and they're uh, quite oblivious to the. No, I mean absolutely. I mean, I guess that the uh, the problem is real, and uh, you know, I've I've experienced it myself many many times. You know, like when I had to transfer, you know, money, you know, overseas to Spain, you know, from the U.S. and 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 so forth. You know, I I hear you. And so I guess for the listeners, so that they really get it, what ended up being the business model of TransferWise? We help people uh, and our businesses to move money cross borders. The uh, traditional way of doing this is going to your bank and, and making an international wire. In Europe, we call them international transfers. Um, in the US, they're called wires. And that usually means uh, typing in the destination account number in a different country. And then the bank makes the uh, the currency conversion. So they usually do two things. They they charge you for a wire, um, and that costs twenty five bucks, thirty five bucks, fifty bucks. Uh, but what where they really make money is uh, they use a, a a terrible exchange rate, um, uh, which includes their margin for converting the currency. So whenever you use your bank to to convert currency. Um, you usually lose something between um, three to five percent, um, or in some cases even more. Yeah. What what Transferwise um, started with was the idea that when we send, uh, say, dollars to um, to the to Europe in in euros. Um, then there's going to be lots of people who also send money from Europe to the US. So rather than, if you imagine sailing with uh, with bags of cash across the ocean, 
we could use the euros that are being sent from Europe to pay out to the recipients in Europe yeah. and use the dollars that we're collecting in the US to pay out to the, to the recipients of, of those Europeans who are sending money to the US. And thereby we can almost re remove the need for, for removing the money and just rerouting the money locally. Um, so that's how, that's how we really started operating in, in Europe. We collected money in the Eurozone, we collected money in the UK, and we used the funds that we collected then to pay out in the right currency. Very cool. And uh, Very cool. I mean, I think the, um, you know, for something like this, uh, Christo, I mean, you can, you can tell me, but, but it seems that to really engineer this entire operation, you know, the need for capital is, is like a big timer type of thing. So I guess in your guys' case, how much capital did you guys raise today? Um, as our seed round, uh, we, uh, we raised uh, a million uh, point three, so $1.3 million. Um, and we've been raising, uh, raising more rounds as we, as we, as we go on. Um, now um, we've raised close to 400 million altogether um and um and that's actually not that much uh money if you uh <laughs> if you look at at, at what we've what we've achieved yeah no i hear you and you know when you say not that much money i mean i'm getting vertigo when i when i think about 400 million all those heroes but but anyhow i guess the um you know and and i saw as well that the last thing valuation and you don't have to comment on this was was 3.5 billion which is which is remarkable so what i want to ask you here christo is the um the the in terms of expectations how did you see the expectations change from one financing milestone to another one you know in 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 that journey that you guys have you know come you know through the 400 million um, the milestones for us weren't really um uh, so much tied to the to the financings. The financings were more tracking on um, <laughs> let's not run out of money and let's 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 make sure that we have plenty of cash uh, to operate and to keep growing so that we don't run out of money. Right, and that's uh, that's kind of worked well. That's the that's the approach that we've taken um, as we as we started and as we got. But going, we realized actually the uh, the size of the the problem, uh, the the size of um, both international transfers in the first place, and then the hidden fees in those transfers is um, is really enormous. Um, and I think over time we started to realize um, how much we're really in the beginning of of solving this. So at the moment we we estimate that we put about a billion pounds a year back into our customers' pockets because they when they use transferwise they avoid those bad exchange rates with banks and they avoid the wire fees so they save roughly one billion pounds a year compared to their bank um, but when we look at what banks still make globally from uh, people and businesses making cross-border transfers, it's around 200 billion. So if you kind, kind of put that into the context, um, 
we've really only come about 0.5% on the way. So we haven't really, we haven't really gotten anywhere um, yeah. by, by that metric. So then, so then I guess the, um, you know, in terms of, of size, you were talking about, you know, like what are, what is the type of volume that you guys do, but, but for everyone that is listening to get a better sense of the size of transfer wise today, how, how big are you guys? You can look at it in multiple different ways. So one, one that we, we watch closely is, is what's our impact. And, and the easiest way to look at it is uh, the number of dollars or pounds that we would put back into our customers' pockets compared to if they had to use their bank. And there we stand at about a billion pounds a year. Uh, you could also look at it by people. Uh, we're now 1,500 people. We're working from nine offices around the world. Um, and but due to the nature of the business, we're we're really quite international. We have to be. Um, there's 71 nationalities now working in in Transwise. Um, of course, because we have to we have to support everyone who's who's using Transwise, and we try to do that uh, to do that in their in their own language. Um, and there's a lot of uh, transfers a lot of currencies to to underpin all of that volume so then now with with you know talking about currency you know and 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 everything that is happening with digital currencies and things like that where do you think the world of of currencies is is heading to this is a very good question um i don't i don't know if the governments would uh would anytime soon be willing to give up their uh, their right to issue national currencies um, and have have legal tender as as the currencies as they're issued um, I think the interesting things that are happening the most interesting thing that's happening with currencies is uh, is actually eurozone it is very incredible how um, a group of countries have decided to give up their national currencies and um, and unite under a common euro. Um, this, as as we've seen, it hasn't been easy. It has brought problems that we um, the the European countries would and and the central bankers had to work work through. Um, but it is it is very incredible, and and we've seen that in recent years as well. I think. Uh, Latvia and Lithuania joined uh, joined quite recently, and their at the time their um, um, financial ministers um, went through a calculation of how much the country will save from not having a national currency, how much efficiency they get by by joining the eurozone. So there there are some, um, and I actually can't think of any other examples other than euro, where um, um, a group of countries have, have optimized for a co common currency. Um, there's not a lot of other currency unions out there. Um, and it's very hard to see uh, where that would be going in the short term. Got it. And I guess, uh, you know, now obviously the, 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 the size of a company that you guys have built is, is unbelievable. No? But, but I'm sure that, that you know, you look back and, and, and probably, you know, there are times that you, it's, it's unbelievable. You can't even believe it yourself no, of where you guys are.
today, you know, since 2011 when you started this. So, so I guess you know the the journey of of, of building a company and and being an entrepreneur is is really not that easy, and it's full of the ups and downs. So I guess in your guys' case, uh, Crystal, what was let's say a dark period for you? Let's say a breakdown moment where you didn't know where you know if there was going to be a tomorrow kind of thing. And what was the uh, breakthrough uh, that came out of that? <laughs> this, is a, this is a good question. We've probably been quite lucky that we um, um, we haven't we haven't run that close to the close to the ground. Um, these moments really uh, really come when you uh, when you run out of money or you're really close to close to running out of money. I guess for us, maybe um, the closest we got to was actually before we first raised any. Um, and that was in probably early in 2012, late 2011, where uh, we had bootstrapped the, the company together with Tavak. Uh, we, we were paying the salaries for our um, earlier employees. And uh, and doing it from from our own from our own salaries or from our own uh, savings, the uh, uh, we did get to the point where, um, in order to to keep growing this, we did have to raise money. And in 2011, uh, raising money in Europe was possible in theory, but uh, not a lot of people were doing that, especially. To a, a new sector that didn't exist, so raising money in, in Europe in late 2011 was was really hard, and we uh, we wasted more time on this than we than we wanted. Um, eventually, we uh, we flew to New York and we raised uh, from a small fund called IA Ventures in New York. Um, they um, they gave us the seed round. And and helped us uh, helped us put it together. That was probably the, uh, the the closest we would. It wouldn't probably um, be the end of us, but we um, we would have had to drastically rethink how we're going to build this company if we if we hadn't fundraised um, around then. Absolutely, and you know, definitely those moments you know are are tough. But you know, especially for the people that are listening, I what I see is that people you know, ultimately don't shut down their business because they run out of cash. It's because they run out of energy. And definitely those moments, you know, really take a lot out of out of you. So so I, I hear you. So I guess, um, Christo, uh, let's say if, if we had the opportunity here of, uh, let's say you being able to speak with your younger self, that, uh, that person that was still at Deloitte, uh, taking, you know, those conversations with Tavid about, you know, how the world would look like when, you know, you guys, you know, could perhaps, you know, change the world by addressing this problem. What kind of, knowing what you know now, what kind of, uh, let's say, advice, and if you had the chance to give yourself one piece of business advice, you know, when you were at Deloitte before starting the business, what would that advice be and why? I think um, at the time, um this is this is a very good question. It's pretty it's pretty hard to think of um, think of think of an advice that that would give you um, give you a shortcut. Um, 
and and even with what we went through it's quite hard to imagine that there would would have been a magical shortcut to to avoid um even avoid avoid the the mistakes that we that we made on the way i think the the really um uh, in in the early days i guess um in the very early days in the kind of Deloitte times we probably or i probably spent uh 6 months um uh deliberating on the idea whether to uh whether to launch this thing that uh that we had devised and and the time that we spent on kind of polishing version 1 um probably was um uh, was about 6 months too long um especially someone who's never done this before and um putting together startups at the time was was quite new so uh, we we definitely did overthink this in the beginning i hear you you know because many times you just want to have the perfect product but but at the end of the day it's nothing like having it on the market and being able to listen to your customers and optimize as as you go and as a fun fact here Christo, the other day i asked a friend you know what with what he would have done if he had the chance to speak with his younger self and and his response that he nothing because um, that that younger self would have not listened. So so I'm glad that you would have had that, that opportunity perhaps to listen. So I guess the um for the people that are listening here, Christo, eh, what is the best way for them to reach out and, and say hi? I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter, and I find that uh, folks folks reach out reach out on Twitter with uh, with something. It's um it's perhaps. Uh, uh, conversation starter that's uh that's pretty good um i'm not a big fan of uh of cold emails um so i'd rather uh, i'd rather hear out from um uh, from people and the other um the other way to get touch is of course uh, through our career site uh, we're always hiring i think we have about 160 roles open at this point so that definitely gets you gets your conversation. Really cool. And obviously there's a lot of entrepreneurs right now that are listening and, and probably, you know, just like myself, you know, very much admire you, the type of entrepreneur that you are and, and what you have been able to accomplish. So I guess for, for everyone that is listening, uh, Crystal, what would be that piece of advice, maybe like a recommendation or a takeaway, you know, that they can, that is actionable that they can get out of or perhaps this 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 time, you know, and and maybe something like a pointer that you can give them. There's um, this is very hard to to give generic advice. Um, when young entrepreneurs um, reach out to me, at least that used to be the case, and most of the time they they ask me about fundraising. And I found that really really awkward. Um, they they really seem. I mean, from my perspective, it looks like they really seem to be thinking about the next funding where, um, especially in the early days, you should be thinking about how to build a product that uh, the customers want and the customers are willing to pay for. Because once you have that, then the investors are going to be um, uh, coming running to you. Uh, so rather, I would... Um, it's it's getting a little better in the in the last years, but I still see perhaps a little too much focus on on fundraising uh, from from early early founders, 
Um, and I'd love to see more focus on on building the product, putting it out there and, and getting customers. A hundred percent. I think nothing like a product market fit. You know, everything will fall into place. So, uh, Christo, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. And, and thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmakers uh, show today. It has been my pleasure. Thanks, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.